Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. I want you to take your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. I thought about doing a Mother's Day message. I've preached a lot of those before in the last 25 plus years of ministry. But I wanted to continue in our series out of 1 Peter, 1 and 2 Peter, because I believe what it has to say is something unique and it relates to moms as well. So let's read the scripture. 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to read from the English Standard. Verse 23 begins like this. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, Listen to verse 24. For all flesh is like grass and all glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So look at verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Like newborn infants. How many of you remember the sound of newborn infants? Maybe they haven't been in your house, but you remember that sound. You know what that, some of you are experiencing that right now. I want to talk about that spiritual craving, that strange craving, not just of infants, but of believers. Let's pray together. Father, thank you, Lord, for your blessing to us today. I thank you, Lord, for this beautiful day that you've given us to worship you. I thank you for everyone who is here and all those, Lord, who are online, those who are visiting in other places. I pray that, God, that your word, Lord, would make a real change and a real impact in our hearts and our lives today. Challenge us and speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, I don't know for sure, but I I can take it from from living with one, but pregnant women have often some strange cravings. I see a guy back there shaking his head. As I looked online, I studied to find out what strange cravings really were the top 10 cravings of, of pregnant women. And they range everything from pickles to sand to charcoal. Yeah, sand, that's what I said. To blood, soggy bread, chalk, and even ice cream. Now, ice cream I can get because if a lot of people crave the ice cream, in that case, I've been perpetually pregnant for years. I didn't know it. I asked Shannon, I said, what is it that you were craving? And she reminded me, when she was pregnant with Sydney, Shannon craved yogurt, and she sent me to the store to get yogurt almost every day. I'm going and buying yogurt. And with the side, she wanted this, chicken gizzards. She had yogurt and chicken gizzards with Sydney over and over. I'm like, how can you chew on that stuff? What does the yogurt do to the chicken gizzards? How many of you had some, you ladies that have had children, how many of you have, some, have had some strange cravings? Jay, what was Kennedy after? If you say ice cream, she's a wonderful lady. Oreos? Man. I have that. Cra- I must be pregnant still. 
We have they, ladies, they, you just you have these crazy, crazy cravings. But I'm not here to talk about pregnant women's cravings. What I'm here to talk about this morning and to show you is the facets of this passage. And what Peter tells us is this. He says, as temporary residents, remember, we are strangers in the world, as he said in verse in chapter one, verse two, we're strangers in the world. We don't belong here. We're aliens. We are temporary residents on this earth. If you are a follower of Jesus, we're uncommon people. We we live holy lives. We do different things. But we're supposed to be like infants that crave milk. We are supposed to be people, Christians, are supposed to be people who have strange cravings. Cravings that crave spiritual nourishment, spiritual fulfillment, spiritual truth. That strange craving indeed for this world that we live in today. We're supposed to be people who crave things of the Spirit. Not people who just crave new houses and new cars and and beautiful things in life and blessings and prosperity, but people who crave the nourishment of our souls. That's what Peter says in this passage. So let me just kind of bring back into focus what he was really, how how we got to this point. Well, he'd been teaching on being born again, which means we are born into the body of Christ. You see, you're born to your mother and moms give birth to children all the time. Matter of fact, there's a child being born right now all over this earth. But there is another birth that can be considered even more important than that because it's the new birth. It is the birth into the body of Christ, into the family of God. You don't just get one family as a Christian. You get two families. You have your biological family, but then you have your spiritual family, the family that doesn't really belong on this earth. They're all strangers. They're all aliens. And the truth of how this happened was when the Word of God, the Bible, that had been preached to what Peter's audience was, had been preached to them, and the Bible was told to them, and the truth about Jesus, this good news of revelation that had come to the earth through Jesus Christ, it was an introduction into a life where it was filled with hope, and hope hope produced fullness and satisfaction as opposed to what Peter says in chapter 1, that empty life. There's a lot of people today that live on this planet who are just living an empty existence. They have nothing. There is no satisfaction. Each day just blurs into another day. One work week into the next work week without any real purpose, without anything really to gain. Because when life is over, life is over and we just forget about it and it's just dust. But the people of God, when you're born into the kingdom of God... You gain something greater. It's fulfillment. It's satisfaction because when your life ends, a new life begins. It's not over for you. You inherit heaven. You inherit all that Peter explained. And Peter compliments these these Roman believers, these, these people that are all scattered all over the Roman Empire. He says this. He said, look, I commend you because you believe and you haven't even seen You didn't even see Jesus in person, not even with your eyes. You didn't get to shake Jesus' hand. You didn't get to look Him in the eyes, but yet you believe. And that's great. That's, That's the foundation of faith. That's incredible faith because I want you to know the Word of God will never change. And that's why He says, Lord, look, the the grass is going to fade and the flowers will fall. Everybody's putting off the flowers this spring, but let me tell you something, come October, November, those flowers will be gone. 
But I assure you, the word of God that I preach today will not change. It will never be gone. Even though your life may come and go, your, the word of God will not change. And so he spoke this word. He, he, he talked about the truth, this, this as milk, as nutrition. And that's one reason why all of you are here today. It's one of the reasons why that you're here today because there's encouragement from hearing God's word. You don't just come to sing and, and see the friends that you have in this church. You come to hear the word of God. What does God have to say? What word can he give me today? That rhema word that can bring delight to my soul, that can change me, that can transform me. David said in Psalm 1, he said, Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And he meditates on it day and night. Job said that the word of God is more important than food to eat. Talk about a good diet. Jeremiah brings up the thought that God's word brought joy and rejoicing into his weeping, tired, weary heart. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 119, there are 184 references to the Word of God. And on one instance, he says, Your statutes, your Word is my delight. I love to hear your Word. I love to hear what God has to say. I love what to hear about what God has already done. And I love to hear what God is going to do. That's why some of you are here today. You want to hear the Word of God. Be encouraged and know. And that catches us up to where we are today, right here in this passage where Peter calls us to delight, to desire, to crave after the Word of God, the truth of that salvation, that Jesus Christ is our Savior. If you're taking notes that you received in your program, if you don't have one, you can get one. Verse 15 gives us our response, the first response to salvation, and it's this, he wants us to be holy. He wants us to have an uncommon life. Verse 22, the second response to salvation is that he wants us to love one another. And then today where we land is our third response to salvation is he wants us to crave the word of God and to grow. To continue to crave the things of God. If you've ever heard that adage, you are what you eat. Well, I can tell you that that's pretty true. Because the question for you today is this, what are you eating? And an even more pertinent question is, what are you craving? What is it that you're hungry for in your life? What are you really after in this life? What are you really craving? What is it? And your response for some may be, well, that's just it, Pastor. I just don't have a whole lot of craving. I don't have a whole lot of appetite. I'm not really hungry, especially for the things of God. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm not just like all passionate about, about what God's Word has to say. What's wrong? What is it? What is it? Well, that's why we're here today, because the Word of God's going to give instruction. So this morning, I'm going to share with you quickly three ways to enhance your spiritual appetite. How many of you want a craving after God? You want to pursue God. You want that to come from the inside out. You don't want it to be manufactured or manipulated. You want to know God. You want to have that desire in you, that craving in you to know who God is. That is what Peter explains today. So let me just take you there. We're going to start in verse 3 of chapter 2. Take a look at it. He says, if indeed, if indeed, you have tasted that the Lord is good. 
If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. One of the greatest ways to increase your appetite for God is, first of all, to recall what you've already tasted. Recall what you've already tasted. Once you ever truly get a taste, honestly, of the goodness of God and the goodness of the Lord, you will want more. Once you taste the Word of God and you recognize its sweetness, my friend, you will want more. It's like an appetizer at an expensive restaurant. They give you such a small small portion for a big price, you think, well, man, the main course has to be outstanding. How many of you have ever made a sandwich and chips and only put one Dorito on your plate? Ain't nobody in this room ever done that. You don't put one Dorito on the plate. You don't even put one Oreo on the plate. Can I get an amen, Kennedy? Oreos only come in pairs. Hallelujah. You can't just eat one Dorito. One chip and dip. It ain't just one glass of tea. And for some of you, it needs more. You need more than one cup of coffee. You need more once you taste it. You've got to have a little bit more of it. And you recognize that. But look at that first word. He says, if you have tasted. If you have understood what this is like. What's he saying? He's saying it's conditional. Because if you have tasted it, You will crave more of it. Now listen, friend. You say, well, I'm not hungry. If you have never tasted it, then you don't know what I'm talking about. Are you listening? Let me me get right there in front of you. If you're here this morning and you are really right now not very interested in what I have to say, and you are distracted, and your mind is racing about everything that you've got to do tomorrow or everything that you're going to do today, can I just suggest something to you? Maybe you have never truly tasted the goodness of the Lord. I told you I was going to get right up in your face today. I started following Jesus when I was five years old. In a little church in West Texas, there was a little, uh, uh, I say a little, he was super tall, just super skinny, guest evangelist. His name was F.R. McAdams. I'll never forget it. He played the harmonica and the accordion, and sometimes at the same time. That was back in the days when evangelists pulled up to the church with either a travel trailer or with just a suitcase, and they slept in a Sunday school room. Yeah, I've been in the church that long. Yeah. And I remember Brother McAdams. I can't tell you his text. I can't tell you what he said. I can't even tell you what he preached, but I can hear his voice ringing in my mind right now. And at the end of that service, as a five-year-old boy sitting right over here, about where Elizabeth Jones is sitting, I was in that seat just with my knuckles white on the back of that pew, old wooden slat pews. And when he said, if you need to come to Jesus and you, you want to make him your savior, I want you to move out and come to an altar. And I moved out from right that second row and I just crashed on that altar. I was five years old. I hadn't committed any major grave sins, honestly. The law wasn't looking for me. There was no warrant out for my arrest. But I knew in my heart 
that I was empty. I understood what sin was. I understood how it separated me. And I can just say that 40 plus years later. I haven't been perfect. But I've been faithful to that commitment that I made at that little altar in Stamford, Texas, when I gave my life to Jesus Christ and I said, Lord, I have decided to follow you. No turning back. Commitment done. Sealed. Decision made. Over. I'm not going back. I've watched friends that I grew up with. I've seen them fall into sin and their life go sideways. And I've seen what they've had to do to pay for that choices that they have made. And I've asked myself, what is it that kept me faithful to know that I wanted to serve and follow God? What is it that's kept me on track all of these years? Can I just tell you, it really started when I was five years old, when I tasted of the goodness of the Lord, and I was changed as a five, as a little boy. I tasted the goodness of God. Friends, if you really want to have an appetite for God, taste and see that the Lord is good. Get a hold of Him. Experience Him. Let Him come in and change you and do something in your life that will keep you for for 40 plus, 50 plus, 60 plus years serving Him and following Him. I didn't desire growing up to taste all the other stuff that life had to offer. Why have I stayed for the most part on track? Because I didn't want to taste anything else. I had already tasted the best there was to offer. The world didn't have any comparison to what I knew that God could give me. You see, when you've tasted something, you've experienced it. You've experienced it. You know what it's like. You have felt the satisfaction of Rocky Road ice cream. Can we just have a quiet moment just for a second? No, you've experienced God's grace. When you didn't deserve it, His grace showed up in your life. And you knew you didn't deserve it. You've experienced God's mercy when the law could have pounded you into the ground, but yet God stepped in and He said, I want mercy in this case. It's the best option. And God miraculously got you out of that trouble. You've experienced God's love where you thought, you thought that you were unlovable. You were guilty as charged. You were not a happy person. You weren't a good person. But God's loved you through your ignorance and through your stupidity anyway. You've experienced His forgiveness when you knew that you were doing it wrong. You knew what you were doing and you did it anyway and you felt the hand of God come and grab your heart and say, what are you doing? And you woke up and you realized, man, I have made a wrong choice and God says, I will come and I will forgive you and wash that away. You've experienced, I know what that's like. How many of you know what that's like? You know what that forgiveness feels like. You know what that discipline feels like when God comes and He says, look, you're living a little bit loose. You're trying to walk the edge too much and God brings the room in real tight on you and the walls close in. You say, oh God, the world's coming apart. He says, no, I'm just disciplining you because a, per, a, a father who can't discipline his child is a father who doesn't love his child. I love you enough to make you straight, to make you walk right. 
Jesus loves us through all of our sins, friends, but he loves us too much to leave us the way he finds us. You've experienced that. That's what it means to taste the Lord, to taste of his goodness and to experience that. And when you begin to recall that, let me tell you something, you want more of it. It's a strange craving. As you begin to experience the presence of the Lord as we worship God, you say, man, let it just keep on going. Keep singing, Bridget. Let's just keep worshiping. You feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. You've experienced, you know it. You know the prayers that he's answered when you were the one praying at night with your head crying on your pillow. You know how many times that he sent a word of encouragement to you when you needed it the most, whether it was a friend speaking softly on the phone or whether it was a letter you got in the mail that you didn't expect. You've experienced his his encouraging word. You know how many times he's provided for you when your bank account said you ain't got it and he made the way where there didn't seem to be any way you know how often he's picked you up and he's dusted you off and said look i love you we're going to keep on moving down this road of life because i'm sticking with you you are mine hallelujah you know it you've experienced it that's what it means to taste the lord is and see that the lord is good friends i preach this word that's not just some theological description to you It's not some religious pitch. It's not just some some holy church garbage that you just throw out. This is not something that is just being told to you because it's something that I do. And it wasn't something that Peter said, hey, this is what Jesus said. It's just a bunch of uh, religious things to memorize. It was something that Peter had experienced himself. And I stand here and many of you sit there and you know you've experienced the same thing. Because it's not your mother's faith. It's not your daddy's faith. It's not your grandma's faith. It's not your wife's faith or your husband's faith. It's your faith. It's your taste. It's your experience. And that's why you know there's nothing better. It comes with a guarantee. And the guarantee is this. That the Lord and His goodness will always taste better than the sins of the world. Because let me tell you, Jesus will never leave an aftertaste. When you've tasted God's goodness, you're going to want more. How do you, how do you increase a spiritual appetite? Some of you are you're, you're on the verge of really getting hungry for the Lord. Hear me. You're on the verge of really getting hungry with the Lord. What you have to do is you have to remember, recall those moments that God has really ministered and touched your life. That's the first place. So if you want to increase your appetite... And that craving for the truth, remember what you've already tasted. The second thing, go back to verse 1. Look at it with me. Verse 1 says this. It says, put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. The second thing you do, you, you've got to cut out the junk food. You have to cut out all the junk food. What did your mama always tell you right before dinner? Don't put those cookies down. Don't be, don't, you're going to spoil your dinner. Now put, that, put them chips away. We're not, we're not going to eat that snack stuff. We still hear that at my house. Put that stuff away. You're going to ruin your dinner. Thank you, moms, for helping us to push back on the junk food. 
There are things that will cause you to lose your spiritual appetite. And Peter lists them. I was in a restaurant. Shannon and I, we were in a restaurant several years ago. I'm not going to tell you what restaurant it was, but they served lots of salad and lots of breadsticks. <laughs> we were eating lasagna. I was eating lasagna. Best lasagna ever. It was great. I was enjoying it. And all of a sudden, as I'm chewing, I feel something in my mouth that should not be there. Now, I know the spirit has just vanished out of this room after I said that. So as I'm chewing on this lasagna, all of a sudden, you know, you, you, you just kind of... That's not floss. I pulled out a big, long hair about 12 inches long out of my lasagna. Now... If you've ever made lasagna, you know. You don't just like do it like salad. It's made. And it's baked in. So if you get anything underneath that top layer, it's been there. I lost my appetite. I lost my appetite. I won't say that was junk food, but I went directly to the restroom, and it was bad. It, it, was like, it was like one time when I was visiting an elderly man in the nursing home. I'd, I'd walked in <clears throat> and sat down next to him, a little table there. He was laying in his, uh, laying in his bed. And sit down, I was drinking a Coke, and uh, we got to visiting. It was I don't know, I'd spent probably an hour there and as I'm drinking a Coke. I mean, there's nothing better than Coke and peanuts, right? I mean, Coke and peanuts. How many of you, how many of you used to buy a Coke and you'd put peanuts in the Coke? Can I get an amen? If you haven't tried it, youngster, try it. It's good. Now just watch out for the fizz, okay, because it's great. Cokes and peanuts. So I'm sitting there drinking my Coke and eating these little peanuts that are in this bowl right here and we're talking and talking about everything. And I said, Fred, these this is, I said, you want a Coke? Because you know, he had some, I said, he said, no, I'm, I'm all right. I said, I said, well, you want some of these peanuts? He said, no, 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 I can't eat those peanuts. He said, because of my teeth. He said, all I do is I just put them in my mouth and suck the chocolate off and I put them back in that bowl. I lost my appetite. Are y'all hungry? Ready to go to lunch now? Peter lists several things that are relational. Can I just say that relational sins are so common in our lives, but they are so quick to cause us to lose our craving for the Lord. These five junk foods that he lists, first he starts with malice. What is malice? Malice is ill will. It's desire to harm, for harm to come to somebody else. On the soft side of it, it's more like constant grumpiness and complaining to somebody else because you can't find anything good about them. It's contempt. It's contempt for another person. 
It's something that the Pharisees had for Jesus, and Jesus described it in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. He called them, you brood of vipers, you bunch of snakes. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You have nothing but ill will toward me, Jesus said, and he used the same Greek word. He said, all you have is malice toward me. You want harm to come to me. How can you speak that way? How can you talk positive when all you feel and all you want is negative? Just this constant griping. A constant gripe is like a bad disease. You complain and gripe about everything. It's a surefire way to lose any craving that you have for God. The second thing he lists, he talks about deceit. The Greek word in the, for deceit is, the, is, the, is defined as baiting a hook. How many of you like to fish? Do you know when you're fishing, what you're doing is you are deceiving the fish. You are baiting a hook. You are promising something that really is not there. It's going to get them caught. You're covering the hook with something so that they'll eat it. That's what deceit is. Deceit, when you begin to, to begin to deceitful and become deceitful with other people, what you're doing is you're promising something that's not there. Whether you lie outright to someone or you leave out portion, portions of the truth, you are, be, you are practicing deceit. And the reason why you can't have a craving for God is because God is the God of truth and there is no falsehood within Him, the Scripture says. So you won't have a craving for the truth if you constantly practice lying or deceit. Then the next word is something that really hits home. It's really self-explanatory. He talks about hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, the Greek word there is, is, is the word that means to wear a mask or to play a part. It was in ancient times, the word hypocrisy was a word that was used to describe actors on a stage. They would call a person who was acting out in a play, they would call them a hypocrite because they were an actor. They, they were just playing a part. They were playing a role that wasn't really them. It was just, they were just acting and becoming something that they weren't. You know what's funny is some things haven't changed in all of these years. It drives me bonkers when actors from Hollywood, whether it's Hollywood or major sports stars, when they get on TV and they lecture everybody about climate or social or uh, sexual morality, when their job as an actor is lived to... I mean, their whole job is to make a living pretending to be something else. I mean, really? That, That really bothers me. Hypocrisy is, is something where, where you fake it. Let me tell you, you, with Jesus, you can't fake it and make it. It won't work. Envy is the next one. It's a junk food. Envy is something where it is really a hidden feeling of the heart. Envy is not something that it's going to be one of those sins that you're going to be able to see. It's not going to stop your craving for God because people see it. Envy is a feeling of the heart. Envy is what goes on when, in your heart when your coworker gets the promotion. Envy is what goes on in your heart when someone else gets blessed by God and you don't. Envy is what goes on in your heart when you're joyful that some misfortune happens to somebody that maybe you're in competition with. That's envy. And that will shut the appetite off in your life as sure as the word. Why? Because God loves all of us. 
And then finally, he talks about the junk food that's slander and evil speaking, which is simply gossiping and backbiting and rumor mills. and Basically, it's something that's spoken so that others would think the worst. And I can just say this, that slander and these things, they're not always... They're not always vocal. They, they don't always have to be spoken. Maybe it's as you're talking to someone, it's that raised eyebrow. Or maybe it's that sentence that's not actually complete. You just kind of stop. And then you may say, if you know what I'm saying. You get my drift? That's what slander, that's what, that's what evil speaking is. And whenever these things are present, whenever those junk foods are present in your life, you will not have a craving for God. You will not crave to get close to Him. You won't desire God's Word for sure because the Word of God is true. Let me challenge you this morning. Maybe some of the reasons why you haven't picked up your Word this week is because maybe you're eating too much junk food in your life. Maybe you need to do a self-examination on yourself and see what your thoughts and feelings are actually going on in your, in your life. See where you really are. Take an exam. Find out where you really are. Here's the thing about these appetite killers. When you forget how gracious God is, you, forget, you start being ungracious toward other people. That's why it's a horizontal thing. It's horizontal, but it blocks the vertical. And when you start doing that, bitterness begins to set in toward another person, your boss, employees, your husband, your spouse, your ex. You kill your appetite. You destroy any craving that you have for God. So you've got to get rid of that junk food. And then look at verse 2. We'll finish here. Once you recall and taste that taste, that flavor, You've done away with all the junk food. Then finally, you feed your craving for the truth. You feed yourself. Look what he says in verse 2. He says, like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk. Long for it. Crave it. That by it you may grow up into your salvations. You've had children, you know babies don't stay babies, right? They change rapidly. They eat a lot. Not compared to a 15-year-old, but they eat a lot. They let you know when they're hungry. They cry. You can hear them. Babies can't live without milk. They can't live without their mother's milk or a substitute because it's necessary for life. And milk is great with Oreos. Can I get an amen? Milk is necessary for life. When I was a kid, we, had a, we used to have a goat named Flossie. And we milked Flossie for milk. And I wasn't a big fan of goat milk. But I had a sister who had an allergy to regular milk. And because milk is necessary for nourishment, and this was all before the frou-frou almond milk and pecan milk or whatever they got, we milked goats, and I milked Flossie all the time. I was just a little kid, and we'd milk Flossie, we'd milk goats. Never had to milk cows for milk. My parents did. And cows produce this milk, and it's nourishing. 
especially for the calves, but it's fun. Like I said, it's good with Oreos. When you think of a cow, I did some research. A cow can produce 90 glasses of milk a day, which totals about 200,000 glasses of milk over a lifetime of a cow. That's a lot of milk. An udder of a cow, the udder holds 25 to 50 pounds of milk. That's utterly amazing. I'll be here all week, folks. In Texas, milk's good because milk helps us to fight off all of that hot Mexican food that we eat. But it's proper milk. Peter understands what this because in the ancient times they had to do that's what they dealt with. It is the proper nutrition that's necessary for proper growth. And he uses this metaphor of milk and babies to encourage these believers to crave God's truth like a baby cries for milk. Crave the word of God. I am thirsty. I am hungry. I need the word of God. What do you have an appetite for, friend? What are you craving? I want you to do something. You got a piece of paper and a pen. Everybody's got a pen that's right there in front of you. I want you to do something. I want you to actually do this. Let's let's be a doer of the word. I want you to just take about 10 seconds. And I want you to write a number down. On a scale of 1 to 10, I want you to evaluate your own spiritual hunger right now, your spiritual craving for God. Just write it on something. I don't care what it is. Your program, your notes, on, the, on your hand, I don't care. Scale of 1 to 10, 1 being the worst, I don't have any desire, any appetite, no really craving for God. I'm just showing up. Or a 10, I want to know God. That is the goal of my life. I'm pursuing Him 110%. Just put that down. Write it down. Take a look at it. Because what you crave is what you will seek to satisfy. Jesus said... In Matthew chapter 5, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness so they, because they will be filled. Whatever you seek is what you will satisfy yourself with. I remember years ago, the Lord was challenging my life in, in an incredible way. I was asking God for direction. And I used to listen to the I'd go to sleep listening to the Bible on cassette. Now, I know some of you don't know what a cassette is. It's a little square thing. has two holes in it. Yeah, yeah. When, when John made his mixtapes, that's what he had to do, was roll it. The Bible on cassette. And it always woke me up when it was over because I'd hear this ka-chunk of the cassette player stopping automatically at the end. But back in those days, we went to church three times a week. We had revivals. That lasted all week. It wasn't like some mini conference. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. That doesn't count Tuesday prayer 
Wednesday prayer, Thursday prayer, 10 o'clock in the morning. Only day off was sometimes on Saturdays. Now, you ask yourself, you say, well, pastor, that's, you're old. Or you're old-fashioned. I mean, life's different today. Let me just ask you a real quick question. If our lives are so busy today, and that's our common excuse, were there less than 24 hours in a day back then? Were, did, they have, did they have more days a week besides seven than we have today? Why in the world would people... I mean, we're so busy. I mean, they didn't work back then, I guess. I mean, they just sit around and waited to go to church. They didn't get up at six. Probably. I mean, they weren't mechanics or doctors or, or, or you know, they, didn't, they weren't clerks and, and office and secretary. They weren't in sales. I mean, they didn't have to try to make a living and still go to church every night. Surely those people, it was a different world back then, Pastor. You just got to understand. Yeah, I'll tell you what was different. There was a passion. There was a craving. There was a seeking after something, a yearning. A longing for, is what Peter says. They longed for the spiritual milk of God. They longed to hear the Word of God preached. They longed to sing the songs, whether that was great music or great singers or not. They wanted to be there in God's presence. They wanted to be in the presence of God. I know that that sounds so foreign to so many of you because you've never been in the church in those days. Our generation has settled for 2% and skim. We've settled for a skimmed gospel. Do you know why? I know there is such a thing as a skimmed, diluted gospel. It's because I see such a lack of growth in Christians today. They're not drinking the whole milk. They're drinking 2%, something that's watered down. Because when you're drinking whole milk, you'll put on the pounds. Why do you think they invented 2% in skim milk? It's for us folks who like Oreos. There's way too many thin, unnourished Christians today who have settled for a watered-down gospel. Now, I don't expect a whole lot of amens for the next few moments, but I'm going to preach at you anyway, Mother's Day or not. You see, we live in an age of diluted gospel where if you prefer a watered-down version, what I call Christianity light, you can have it. But it will inevitably, inevitably lead you to disappointment and heartache and emptiness because won't, it won't give you the foundations of, of simple hope and forgiveness and purpose. It is self-serving. It is self-focused and not Christ-focused. It's shallow. It's not deep. That's why roots of, of Christian believers today wither when anything, any trouble or suffering comes into their life. They wilt like a flower in the heat of the day. They fall out. It's just, I can't handle it. They don't have their roots driven deep into the Word of God that will hold them in difficult, challenging times. It's a deluded gospel. It's weak. 
Because it's not dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit that is at work in your life to fill you and to flow in overflowing. When you get empty, people used to go and say, I need to get refilled. Now they just say, I'll find out a way to get happy with being empty. Isaiah chapter 28 says this limited, this diluted gospel is like a bed that's too short to lie on and a blanket that's too narrow to cover you. You won't be satisfied with a thinned out gospel, friends. But that modern message is being preached in too many pulpits, even this morning, because it's seductive, but it's shallow. Christians don't need seeker-sensitive messages that downplay Jesus' demands. They don't, we don't need in our world a user-friendly Jesus. We don't need a 2% gospel, a skimmed gospel. We don't need a message that winks at sin and promises freedom from guilt while you continue in your sin. What we need is the real thing. We need a Savior who pays for our sins. And you come and you repent and you turn your life over to Him. And He gives you hope that nobody ever can give you. Our culture seems to teach that the worst possible emotion that we can feel is shame. Think about it. Why do you think that sin is so upfront and lauded? You see it on TV. We've come to accept it. It's because shame is to be shunned from your mind at any everything goes in our world can i just tell you that's not the worst possible emotion the worst possible emotion is apathy because many people are aware of their condition and here's the greatest trouble they are unwilling and too apathetic to do anything about it I believe it's time for Christians to grow up. Look, if you have to park the mustache to get the bottle in, you probably need to grow up. Just ask yourself, look at that number that you wrote down. Ask yourself, am I in the same place spiritually that I was a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago, fifty years ago? Am I in that same spot? Why am I? Well, the answer lies in, in this word right here where Paul says all Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching and reproof, correction, for training and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Right here. Right here. Scripture is God's way of preparing us, of shaping us, of growing us, and equipping us. So after you've set aside the junk food and you've remembered that you've tasted Feed on the truth. Feed on God's word. Let's bow our heads together. When you first knew the Lord, came to know the Lord, you tasted the appetizer of his grace. 
And if you didn't push back on the spiritual junk food in your life or you haven't, it'll take your spiritual appetite away. So what happens is you taste of the Lord and some people keep continue to try to practice their lifestyle, but it doesn't work that way. Matter of fact, I'd say that you probably never tasted the Lord if you wanted to continue in that life. What God wants us to do is to fill our plates, go back for seconds and thirds and fourths and fifths, to be like buffet Christians, just constantly just going back for more of the real food, the vertical stuff, the real stuff, what transforms our lives, not just makes us feel better for seven days, makes a difference. Right here in this room, there's con- there's some common philosophies that we sit with, came to church with. You, some would say, you know what? I'll show up to church and I'll occupy the seat. And then when you leave today or tomorrow, you'll say, well, I went to church today. Or I went to church this week. Check that box. Others will get up and they'll dress up and they'll listen up and they'll say, well, I listened to the sermon today. really didn't have an impact and then others will take the last step and they'll grow up because the choice is ours we can either be spiritual giants or we can be spiritual midgets it's up to us and your spiritual inclination is directly proportional to your spiritual appetite where you are in your life and your spiritual life is directly proportional to your appetite. Can I say that one more time? I want you to hear it. Where you are spiritually is directly related to where your spiritual appetite has taken you. Because you see, cows actually don't give milk. Cows make milk available. But unless you get up at 4 o'clock in the morning like my dad used to do, and you go out and you milk that cow and you put it in a bucket, and you bring it in, you'll never taste any milk. You'll never grow. You'll never gain anything. And a lot of people have this misconception about cows, that they give milk. Cows really don't give milk. They just make it available. And it's the same way for the Word of God and the church and everybody here. The Bible that sits on your shelf at home, The milk's available, but it's not going to give you anything unless you go up and you take it and you begin to eat it. The services we have on Sunday, they're available and you can be encouraged and you can worship and you can encounter the presence of God, but but it's not going to give you anything unless you show up. Small groups connect groups, Bible studies, all of those things are available, but unless you engage them, they're not going to do anything. They don't give you anything just having them on the calendar or having a Bible in your room or being a member on a roll of a church doesn't do anything for you unless you go and you access what's available. Whatever number you wrote down, may God give you the courage to raise it. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray that today that your word, Lord, as sharp as a sword would have pierced deep within our hearts. That those who have 
really been challenged today, they'll take up this thought and that they will begin to crave the true spiritual milk of God. True truth. It's transformative and it doesn't leave them, as Peter said, with an empty way of life. Lord, let our lives be full. Fill us up, Lord, overflowing. Challenge us today and may we make that confession to you. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to ask this question. You say, Pastor, I'm turning it around. I want to crave God. I want to have passion for God like I've never had before. This is, this is your response. Well, you say, Pastor, that's me. I just want you to just raise your hand. You can just raise it up. You can put it right back down. You say, I want passion for God like I've never had it before. Just raise your hand real high. That's right. Raise it up. You can put it back down. Yes. Yes. I think the Word of God has done its work today. Would you stand with me? Amen. As you go and you eat lunch, maybe with mom or whoever, don't forget that the most important craving and nourishment that you can have comes from right here. It's word of life. It's the bread of life. Eat it. Jesus said, I am the bread. Eat me. What was he saying? He wasn't being flippant. He was saying, take me. Own me. Crave me. As you go today, crave the Lord. Crave the Lord Jesus more than you have ever done before. You say, I don't know how. I don't know what to do. Just begin to start here. Where do I go? Use the old junior high method. There we go. God's word is full. And he'll give you something every time you pull up to the table. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. And may he give you peace. May your hands always be profitable. And may your words be seasoned with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord bless you. Keep you. Go in the Lord in the favor of his presence. Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030. 